Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand now and turn to the very first chapter of the Old Testament book of Daniel. Remember last week was really just a 30,000 foot overview of the entire 12 chapters of Daniel, just to give us a little context of the historical setting. You remember that Daniel was taken prisoner around 605 BC, which began a period in the life of the nation of Israel we know as the Babylonian captivity. Uh, The Babylonians followed the Assyrians as far as dominance of world empires in the Middle East. The city is called Babylon. The empire is called Babylon. Uh, The mastermind of this great empire was a prominent figure in the book of Daniel, the king named Nebuchadnezzar. And in verses 1 and 2, last week we saw that Nebuchadnezzar brought his armies down to Israel and defeated the Jewish king uh, Jehoiakim. And then he took away not only some of the best and brightest young men um, back to Babylon, he also took the sacred vessels from the temple. He brought them up to Babylon and placed them in the temple of his God, likely this wicked God, Marduk. Now in the mind of the Babylonians, this was proof positive that the Babylonian God and therefore the Babylonians were superior to the God of Judah. But as we saw last week, the truth is found in verse two. All of these events were part of Jehovah God's plan. Look what it says. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And so right away, we saw that the theme of the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God over all the events of history. And we're going to keep coming back over and over and over again to that North Star truth during this 12-week study. Now, I concluded last Sunday's message with a reminder to us all that the book of Daniel is not ultimately about Daniel. This is God's book. It is God's story. However, as Christians, it is good and proper and right for God's people to be encouraged from time to time by the faithfulness of godly men and women that have gone before us. We see this clear in the New Testament Hebrews chapter 11, we have the great hall of fame of faith where the author of Hebrews encourages us to continue on our race, on the course that is before us because many have gone before us and maintained their faith until the end. So I do want to encourage us the next few weeks with the story of Daniel and his faithful friends. The title of the message today is The Courage of Convictions. So let's read verses three through seven to start. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them 
And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, the more, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading, hearing of his word. Now, right away, we see the scheme of this king, Nebuchadnezzar. And the scheme went, scheme went something like this. He would go in, he would conquer his enemies. Rather than slaughtering everyone, he would search out the best and brightest and he would take those men back to Babylon. Some, he says, of the royal family. These were who already likely had started training in how to be leaders politically. He would bring them into his household and he would brainwash them over about a three-year period during some of their most formative years, usually from the time they were 13 to 17 or so. Make them Jews in body, but Babylonians in heart and mind. And then he would re-inject them into leadership positions, speaking for him among his constituents to control these vassal nations. And so if you wanted to control a vast empire as Nebuchadnezzar had designs of doing, this is a much better tactic than simply using brute force. So let's look at some of the specifics of how he planned to do it. Verse four says he was looking for those who had physical perfection. Now that doesn't surprise us because that's really not unique to the Babylonians or to Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says of all humanity that man looks on outward appearances, but God judges the heart. He wanted people that looked good and sounded good, that were sharp. They had mental acuity. They had intelligence in every branch of wisdom, he said. And on top of that, they had an aptitude for leadership, endowed with understanding and discernment and the ability to serve. These were the cream of the crop in his mind. And so first he identified them and then he reprogrammed them. How did he do that? Well, it was through re-education. Scripture says here that he ordered them to be taught the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the word Chaldean and Babylonian can be used interchangeably there. He wanted them, in other words, to think like he thought, to speak like he spoke, and to have a Babylonian worldview. And to do that, not only did he have to identify them and reprogram them, he had to condition them. Verse five says, the king appointed for them a daily ration for the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. Well, this really is a, a Pavlovian experiment. Uh, there, there's a stimulus, in this case, choice food and wine from the king's table. And then there's a response that he wants to be elicited from that stimulus. And the response, of course, is loyalty to him. In other words, you feed them, clothe them, make them totally dependent upon you for their existence for three years during their formative years, and they will be loyal to you for the rest of their lives. But, but there was one more ingredient to make sure that their past did not uh, affect his plans for them moving forward. And that is he had to separate them. That is he had to remove from them every vestige of their upbringing. So he took them first away from their homeland away from the holy city and from the temple and from everyone and everything they had ever known growing up. And then he put them into an intense program. The scripture says here, a, a three-year program. And, and these were lads, again, that they brought them in from anywhere from 13 to 17 years old. And so by the time they finished, they were in their late teens or, or their early twenties, depending on when they started. 
and he even changed their names. Now, now don't think that this wasn't part of the grand scheme. Now look what he says, um, verse seven, then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them and to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah Shadrach to Mishael Meshach and Azariah Abed, Abednego. The word Daniel was very significant. In fact, all four of these names bore great significance because people used to name their children in those days with names that had great meaning. The word Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael means who is like God. And Azariah means God helps. So when Daniel's name was changed to, to Belteshazzar, it means that Bel protects the king. And Bel, of course, was uh, one of these pagan gods. Um, Hananiah's name had to do with a Babylonian god called Aku. Mishael's name was changed to, to Meshach, um, a, a derivative of this moon god. And Azariah to Abednego, uh, this wicked god Nebo is who he's named after. So, so the question is, why would Nebuchadnezzar go to such trouble and expense um, to train these young men. He, he had to identify them. That took a while. He had to, to separate them. He had to reprogram them and condition them. And, and all of this cost him a lot of money and time. Well, the scripture tells us very clearly why he did it, to put them into his personal service. As he didn't do this out of kindness, didn't do this out of benevolence. He did this because he thought it would help him maintain his place of prominence in the world. Now, that is his scheme. Now, let's move from Nebuchadnezzar uh, to Daniel and his friends. Secondly, the commitment of the lads, beginning in verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not devile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. And so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths which are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. And that first phrase there in verse eight is very telling. But Daniel made up his mind. God raise up young men and women who will make up their minds to follow his way no matter the cost in this generation. Now, the title of the message I said is The Courage of Conviction. And that word conviction is out of date. It's sort of like the word duty and honor in our culture today. It's, it's sort of a vestige of a past age. And yet the word conviction is a good word. It simply means a firmly held belief. It is the opposite of vacillation. 
It is the opposite of being unsure. The root of the word is to be convinced. And if you're convinced of something, you're not gonna be easily moved. And a person who has the courage of convictions is willing to do what is right, even when it is unpopular and even when it is dangerous. And I think of some of the great men and women through history, men of the Bible, like Stephen, the first Christian martyr, who was willing for the sake of the gospel to give his life in a very violent way. I think of men like Martin Luther, who read the Protestant Reformation, who was commanded publicly that he should recount his convictions based on his study of the word of God. And he said this, to go against conscience is neither wise nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. I try to introduce my four children regularly to men and women, both in the present time and in history through biography who were men and women of conviction. I want them to look and see there are others who have stood against the tide and against the grain of this culture and died with their faith intact. Men like Jim Elliott, who the Lord called to the Aka Indians of South America and who went and gave his life there. People of substance, as opposed to the vacuousness of social media influencers and pop culture celebrities that dominate um, the world today. Daniel and his friends were not empty suits. They were men of conviction, even in their teenage years. Now the reason that they would not eat of the king's table and drink of his wine was not that it didn't taste good. I'm sure it was the best of the best. It was that God had forbidden it in his word. God had prescribed the diet of his people and this food did not conform to that. And so they would not defile themselves by eating of the king's table. Now here, there's some things that we see right away about these boys and the way that they protested and the way that um, they obeyed the Lord. First of all, they did it in a respectful way. Uh, verse eight says uh, they asked permission not to eat of the king's table. Verse eight says Daniel asked permission. He didn't demand his rights. He didn't throw a fit. Uh, secondly, they had a reasonable plan. Verse 12, when he's talking to this person um, and relaying his plan to them, he said, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables, eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youth who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Daniel was a reasonable man. He was speaking to another reasonable man and he said, look, here's an easy plan. This won't cost you anything. Let's just do this for 10 days. 10 days out of a three-year period isn't much to ask. And so once this man was presented with a reasonable plan, he, he went along with it. But, but at the end of the day, the most important character trait out of these four boys is not that they were respectful and reasonable, but that they were faithful. When I say faithful, I, I'm, I'm meaning it this way. They were full of faith. They were depending upon God to rescue them. And so when they were testing uh, this uh, diet, what they were really doing is testing God's faithfulness. And, and of course, God always proves himself faithful. Now, there's a little aside here and I don't wanna skip over it. Remember, I keep saying there's four of these boys. Daniel is the clear leader, but don't overlook the importance of godly friendships, especially in the formative years of your children. 
I think the best advice I ever received from our former pastor here, and he gave a lot of good advice, but the best advice that he ever gave me, I think he gave to many of the couples in this church because I heard him do it. He said, choose your children's friends without them knowing you're doing it. And that's what my wife and I have tried to do. We, we try to surround our children with godly influences all the time. And I thank God for the godly young men that God brought into my own life at crucial times during my formative years that helped shape my thinking and, and my worldview. And, and I pray and hope that I help them half as much as they helped me. But, but as we see this conviction, uh, I think we also need to see the result of their faithfulness. They, they were respectful, reasonable, and faithful. But what is the result of faithfulness? Well, look at verse uh, 17. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. That would come in very handy later. And then at the end of days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. The result of the faithfulness of these four boys can be summarized in one three-word sentence. God blessed them. God blessed them. He blessed them physically with good health. He blessed them spiritually with development. And he blessed them mentally with wisdom. Now, don't hear me preaching the prosperity gospel. We're not talking about your best life now. We're not even talking about uh, works-based salvation. We're talking about a bedrock biblical principle that's taken from the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30 simply states this, God honors those who honor him. God honors those who honor him. Now we've already established sometimes he honors them after they're dead. Stephen was a godly young man, probably just as faithful as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God didn't elevate him to a place of prominence and leadership in the government. He had him give his life for the gospel. But the simple truth is, if you honor God with your life, if you commit that no matter what it costs, I'm going to stand upon my firm conviction in the Lord and in his word, ultimately you will be honored by God. Again, that doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't mean a comfortable existence. It doesn't mean, again, especially works-based salvation. It's a simple biblical principle. God honors those who honor him. And one of the things that I love about the book of Daniel is that the book of Daniel is encouraging to people of all ages. These guys were really teenagers. Might've been even as young as 13 years old, just children. But from the time that they were teenagers all the way until Daniel was in his ninth decade of existence, so at least 70 year slice of Daniel's life is pictured here in these 12 chapters. And at every place in his life, when he was a teenager, when he was a young adult, when he was a middle-aged man, 
all the way into the time when he was an elderly man, we find him standing firm in his faith, maintaining the courage of his convictions. Kings came and went. Empires came and went during the life of Daniel, but he was the same man until he died. And friends, I don't know about you, but I want to be a man like that. A man who has the courage of his convictions, not just when it's convenient, not just at a moment in time, but for a lifetime. So how can we be those kind of men and women? Teenagers, how can you be a man like Daniel or a woman with the same conviction as Daniel? Well, I think there's three or four things that you, you've got to nail down in your life as a firm foundation. Number one, you have to know what you believe. You have to know what you believe. Did, did you get the way that these boys were going to be conditioned to become Babylonians and to think like Babylonians, separating them from everything they'd ever known and believed growing up, giving them the best making them dependent upon that society so they would be loyal to it, changing their names and their identity, making them totally dependent upon that way of life and that way of looking at the world. It's, Satan has not changed his strategies very much in the hundreds of years that have followed since uh, the time of Daniel. He's still doing that. He, he's trying to draw Christian young men and women away from the things that they've been taught at their church and, and by their parents. He, he's trying to put pressure on them from the culture and the, from society to conform to society's way of thinking because here's the truth. And I said this last week and I'm going to reiterate it over and over again. Nebuchadnezzar, though he was the king, was really a puppet of the prince of the power of the air. Satan is really the one who is controlling things in this culture. Now, ultimately, God is going to assign him to the lake of fire, which was prepared for he and the deacon, the demon, not the deacons, the demons. But ultimately, um, he's going to be locked away. But for the here and now, all the things that you see in the world which are contrary to the things of God, all of the rebellion, all of the deceit, all of the crime, all of that is a manifestation of the, the real prince of the power of the air. Because Jesus talked about two kingdoms. He talked about the kingdom of darkness of which Satan is the ruler. And then there's the kingdom of God's dear son, which is known for light, which is truth. And when we were saved, one of the miraculous things that happened is that we were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear son. And, and so be ready for that. There are those who even now are seeking to separate you from this truth that you are being taught uh, in your childhood. So you have to know what you believe. You have to have it firmly grounded in your heart and mind. You need to surround yourself with like-minded people. You don't have to have a thousand Christian friends. You need a few. In this case, there, there were four young men who together 
help one another. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he did it two by two. And I think he did that because he knew that they would need that mutual support. When the apostle Paul went on his missionary journeys, he always took others uh, with him. So surround yourself with, with a few like-minded people. And then thirdly, recognize and refuse the schemes of this world. Familiarize yourself with the book of Daniel and the tactics of Nebuchadnezzar because those tactics are being used against you today. And when you see them, avoid them. And if you can't avoid them, stand firm against them. And then fourthly, ultimately, as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, commit yourself to God's care. Commit yourselves to God's care. This is what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter eight. What can separate us from the love of God? And then he began to list hypotheticals. Could war or poverty or peril or violence against us, or even he says death. And he says not even death can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That, that's what these men believed. And as we're going to see over the next few weeks, they were willing to die because of the courage of their convictions. So we need men and women like that in the world today. One of the things that our staff has been praying diligently about in the, in the last year is that from this generation of young people in this church, First Baptist Church of Keller, God would raise up the next generation of pastors and teachers and missionaries and leaders in our community that would um, stand upon the bedrock truths of scripture and that would serve him no matter the cost. Let's join together in that prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the word of God. And Father, I thank you that uh, this is your book and this is your story. But in your sovereignty, from time to time, you raise up extraordinary men and women. And the Bible is full of the stories of these people that belong in the hall of fame of faith. And Father, I thank you for Daniel and his three friends. Father, they inspire me because um, our culture is not altogether different than his. Father, we know that ultimately Satan is behind the scenes and uh, he seeks to destroy our lives and our ministry. Peter said in one of his epistles that he's a, a, a lion roaming about seeking whom he can destroy. And Father, I, I thank you that you did not allow Satan or his schemes to destroy these four young men. In fact, just the opposite. You raised them up and used them to glorify yourself for decades in the greatest empire the world at that time had ever seen. And so Father, I'm praying that same prayer for some young men and women in this congregation. Father, in my own household, would you take them and Father, drive deep in their hearts and minds the, the conviction of truth as they study your word. Father, I pray those of us that are older would set a good example for them and, and that we'd pray for them and that we would help them surround themselves with godly influences. And Father, then I pray that we could send them out into the world, shot as arrows in every direction. Father, that uh, they could plant their lives to live lives that are different fundamentally in every way from a lost and dying world so that they could be salt and light, that they could point to Jesus. And Father, that we would see a revival 
and awakening of righteousness in this land. Father, that's the prayer of our heart. We pray you'd answer it now. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.